from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Earlier this year, a blistering Royal Commission report found that Crown Casino in Melbourne had links to organised crime, enabled money laundering and behaved in ways that were illegal, dishonest, unethical and exploitative. Despite all that, Crown managed to keep its licence, for now, though it's been forced into a two-year probation period. So how has it managed to evade serious consequences for misconduct? Today, Senior Fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity, Tim Costello, on the relationship between politics and gambling and how Crown Casino ultimately became too big to fail. It's Tuesday, November 9. Tim, you were voicing concerns about the development of Crown Casino right at the very beginning when it was first proposed. So can you take me back to that time? What was the tone of the conversation around the development and what were politicians saying about it? Well, they all knew that uh, in 1983, Francis Xavier O'Connor, a Supreme Court judge, had done an inquiry into should there be a casino in Melbourne, and he had said absolutely no because organised crime will follow. But in the 90s, we'd had an economic crisis, really, in Victoria. There'd been trams that uh, had all stopped in the city and people on strike, and uh, the guilty party is the campaign that Kennett ran against Labor, and he promised to... uh, to get the city humming again. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a long, long road. But it is a great state. It has known better days and it will know better days in the future. And so there was, rather than an enthusiasm, a resignation of uh, we've got to get economic activity going. So what had been unthinkable, because it would just bring in organised crime in 1983, suddenly became thinkable. And uh, so the temporary casino opened in 1994. And I might say that's what got me really agitated. Well, the sound you're hearing now in the background is part of the multi-million dollar fireworks display. We're told it's one of the biggest to have ever been staged in the Southern Hemisphere. And in terms of Melbourne, it's about five... I saw Jeff Kennett, then Premier, opening the temporary casino while they were building uh, the permanent one, opened in 1997, and uh, a current affair uh, followed the opening, and Jeff Kennett said, this casino is a beacon of hope. This casino represents the new spirit of Victoria. It is therefore with great pleasure that I declare Melbourne's Crown Entertainment Complex officially open. And it was like an electric shock through my body. Hope, and he's talking about a casino. That was the moment where I thought something's profoundly wrong here. Mm. And you became quite vocal in your opposition to Crown. Can you talk me through that and perhaps through um, some of the things that you were saying, particularly I'm thinking about when you went on air with Neil Mitchell? Yes, so I I became, I guess, the leading uh, opposition to Crown and... uh, when Crown organised its 20 million plus opening party, I organised the week after a Not The Casino party where we had Archie Roach and a whole lot of musicians come and sing. 
So uh, when in 1997 um, the permanent casino, the one we now know, opened, Neil Mitchell was broadcasting from uh, Studio 3, a W studio in the casino. I remember it had glass and people were watching us as we uh, started to lock horns and as we locked horns and the volume went up, <laughs> I remember looking at one point and seeing it had gone from a couple of people to about 100 people watching it because I uh, said to Neil, look, there's so much money here, there's so much power here, it's going to buy all of us, it's going to buy the media. Neil took that very personally, I'm not bored, how dare you, and threw me out mid-interview. <laughs> wow. So... Um, the sense that uh, you were meant to be uh, in the compulsory cheer squad for Crown because it was just so wonderful for Melbourne and reviving our economic fortunes uh, was very strong then. Mm. So can you tell me a bit more then about what your criticisms and what your fears were at this point in time? Because it seems like you were standing in opposition to others in the media and also those in politics as well. Yes. No, I was a very lone voice. I actually remember the age in 1996, so before Crown opened, editorialising against me and saying, go away, you're a wowser, you're a killjoy, and I felt very alone. Uh, look, my concerns were twofold. They were that Crown's business model really was organised on effectively high rollers laundering their money, enabling organised crime, and secondly, built upon pokies that I'd already suddenly realised, were built for addiction. Mm. So 25 years on, would you say that your fears have borne out? Absolutely. And I don't say that with any pleasure. This has damaged so many Victorian lives, tens of thousands of Victorians' lives, and uh, uh, my fears were borne out. Look, I, I knew back then the casinos basically existed worldwide to launder money. That's what the uh, Francis Xavier Connor report in 1983 warned, and I'd seen that and read that. I then had my own personal experiences with people who uh, didn't have problems and then suddenly were addicted. My concerns were that Crown's whole business model was built upon effectively laundering money and addicting vulnerable people with their 2,500 pokies. The very two things that uh, the Finkelstein Royal Commission found and uh, he was unsparing in his criticism of Crown for its uh, doing damage to so many Victorians through its pokies and enabling organised crime. We'll be back after this. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. Yeah, if, yeah, if, no, if that's what you're using writing for. 
I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, the culmination of a six-month-long joint investigation. We reveal a corporate scandal involving Australia's largest casino operator, Crown, which until recently... Tim, in 2019, 60 Minutes broadcast a report which made public a lot of allegations about misconduct at Crown. We've obtained tens of thousands of documents from inside Crown's corporate headquarters. Things like enabling money laundering, connections to organised crime syndicates. They show a lust for profits drove an arrogant culture where almost anything, including courting people with ties to the criminal underworld, was not only allowed but encouraged. That report eventually led to a Royal Commission. Can you tell me about what that commission found? So um, the Royal Commission investigated Crown's links to organised crime, its junkets, its non-compliance with the money laundering requirements under law and found that they'd failed. It recognised the harm, particularly Crown pokies were doing to Victorians and... uh, That's why the commissioner in his recommendation said it's outrageous, they're predatory. They exist really to addict people. So the recommendations uh, firstly said it's unfit to hold a licence, but then because there's 12,000 jobs at stake, uh, they should be given two years under a special manager, unprecedented in any corporate law in Australia. Crown really is on notice to see if the new board can change the culture and function as it should function within the law and really prove that though it is so big, it is a law-abiding citizen. Right. And so what has the response been like to that report? What has the Victorian government said and will it implement the Commission's recommendations? So uh, the government... uh, said of the 33 Finkelstein recommendations, they are immediately implementing nine and saying now with two years of probation for Crown with this special manager, Stephen O'Brien, the presumption is Crown will lose its licence at the end of two years unless Stephen O'Brien says they have reformed. And he made recommendations that The fine should be $10 million for breaches. The government said, no, we're making them $100 million. He said that anyone who plays Crown Pokies has to have a membership card and they have to set a limit on their losses and uh, be locked out for 36 hours if they go over that. And we are now going to see in this most unusual structure (laughs) whether Crown can, on probation, reform itself. Back in 1997, when I was really disturbed by what was happening with the size of Crown, I'd never heard of the phrase too big to fail. Of course, we now all have with uh, the global financial crisis and the banks, uh, particularly in America, being bailed out and really suffering no penalties. That's, in my view, what this Royal Commission has shown about Crown. Everything the Commissioner said said it should lose its licence. The council assisting the commissioner said it should lose its licence. He found it should lose its licence and Crown has kept its licence, proving too big to fail here in in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. So 
if it's your view that Crown is too big to fail, what should be done? Do you think that its power needs to be diluted? Absolutely, yeah. Look, the 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 truth is that we we have known all this for the last twenty five years. We have known about this for a long time. Why did nothing happen? One, because the regulator was utterly captured. Secondly, because political parties were absolutely captured. The spruiking of Jeff Kennett, which I was very critical about. Jeff and I exchanged a lot of love messages in the media toward each other over Crown Casino, and but he, he just said, you know, this is just so good for Melbourne. And then Labor, that uh, used to cheer me on for attacking Crown and saying, well, if we win power, we'll be uh, clipping its wings, Tim. As soon as they got into power, they fell under Crown's spell straight away. They started having their fundraisers at Crown. I, I was aghast. How? It's the donations of Crown. It's the uh, sense that it now controls the culture of Melbourne from the Brownlows to the Walkleys to everything. And that power is just too dominant. And it's too dominant because Crown is just too big. The rest of the world look at Australia and they say, it's no wonder they have the greatest gambling losses per head of any country in the world. 40% higher losses than the nation that comes second. If uh, America's blind spot is guns, ours literally is gambling. And uh, it's seen essentially in Crown, the size of Crown and how it got to that. Mm. And how confident are you that this is a moment in time in which some of this will change? Because it sounds like you would have hoped that the the recommendations from the Finkelstein report would have gone further. And I also wonder if you think that there needs to be more action taken as well from the Victorian government. Do you think that this is a missed opportunity? Look, I, I think there's a chance this can work. However, my fear really is, Ruby, that if you look at the Banking Commission, Justice Haynes did a fantastic set of recommendations already. So many of them a few years on have been weakened. This is what happens to Royal Commission recommendations. I'm still troubled when you ask about the government. Though they said we accept all 33 recommendations, they've only legislated nine of the 33. And... I fear that they might start to weasel away. With time, we forget. Uh, Crown remains very powerful, so dominant. You know, the, the complex down there on South Bank is the biggest public building in Australia, twice the size of the second biggest, which is our federal parliament. It does say something about our values, <laughs> gambling and democracy. And that power, I still have fears, may start to find wriggle room despite these recommendations. Tim, thank you so much for your time. That's a pleasure. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the federal government has flagged that it's not expecting children between the age of 5 and 11 to receive a COVID-19 vaccine before the end of the year. 
The Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, said on Monday that Pfizer was yet to submit all of its paperwork and that the critical thing is a full and thorough assessment. And in the US, police are now investigating Astroworld Festival in Texas after at least eight people were killed and hundreds injured in a surging crowd while rapper Travis Scott was performing on stage. One question authorities will investigate is whether the show could have been stopped sooner after it allegedly continued for close to 40 minutes after the mass casualty event. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.